2: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And good morning. Welcome to your Thursday's Cork Today. JP in for Patricia until 1. Bernie taking your comments. Their lines are open right now. Uh, she's on the phone taking those as I speak on 0818 103 103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103, 103. and ahead on the programme we're going to hear from leading air pollution exports, uh, experts even that have warned the burning of highly polluting solid fuels this winter is likely to increase due to the energy crisis. Uh, but they have warned it will lead to poorer air quality and this is people who have been ringing us even yesterday on the show Uh, the price of coal obviously is increasing and those who rely solely on coal and timber and turf to heat their homes many now are just going to go with turf and timber even though turf sales are going to be illegal from next month Uh, many are stocking up and that is leading to a concern from those researchers from UCC on our air quality we'll speak to them in the show later also you remember yesterday on the show we had a call from a lady who who went into a phone shop, asked for a phone, a new smartphone, and she specifically wanted the phone to do X, Y, and Z for her. And the person at the sales counter said, yes, this is the phone for you. She left the shop and the phone didn't do X where it said for her. Many of our callers yesterday said she is entitled to a refund, but we'll find out if she is or not. Uh, we went to Dermot G- uh, Jewell of the Consumer Association of Ireland, who's the man in the know. He'll join us later in the programme. And again, concerns this morning regarding the South Dock service in Fermoy. It's once again coming on under the spotlight over speculation that it could be relocated to either Middleton or indeed to Glanmire. Now, we got calls on this uh, about a month ago and it was Councillor Deirdre O'Brien... Uh, uh, rang us and she joined us on air at that time regarding the concerns she had. Uh, the HSC at the time said they were not aware of any changes. We'll get an update this morning on that story. And also later from 12.30, Jane Pickett joins us answering all your pet questions. So that are more between now and one o'clock. But we'll start this morning uh, with news we heard this week that the state pension age will remain at 66 and people will be offered the choice to work until 70 in return for higher payments. The Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, confirmed the move this week and she joins me this morning on the programme. Good morning to you Minister Humphreys. Good morning, John Paul. And thanks for joining us. I suppose many people, first of all, are welcoming keeping the pension age at 66 because there was a lot of concern regarding the actual age of the pension. But some callers then across the week felt that most men and half of women will not live long enough to get a payback from deferring their state pension. And some say you would have to live until 86 to get your money back. Would you agree with those callers and indeed pension experts that came out yesterday on this?
3: Yeah, well. can I just say, first of all, that uh, the flexible system will be particularly attractive for some people who don't have enough contributions to qualify for a full pension. So, uh, for example, uh, you have many people that reach the age of 66. They might only have 36, 37 or 38 years of contribution. So they don't get a full pension and they'll have to take a reduced pension. So those people will now have the option to work for an extra couple of years and to be able to improve their pension And that's about giving people choice and flexibility that they don't currently have. And the flexible uh, pension system won't come into uh, effect until January 2024. Uh, And uh, you don't actually have to work till you're 70. You might want to retire at 67 or 68. And we have published indicative figures to, uh, to give people an idea of what it will look like. But I think it's important to say that these uh, are based on today's pension rates. So the figures we gave out was based on a pension at 66 of €253, Euros, which is what you get today. But over time, those rates are going to in, increase. Uh, so, uh, as I said, uh, the baseline is 253 but that, that, would, that will go up as, as, the, you know, as the budget increases the pension. Over, over the coming years, as it has always done. So we have a budget next week and pension payments could increase then. And likewise, there'll be a budget next year too before the system takes effect and pension uh, payments could change then also. So I think we should see what uh, the final rates are in 2024. And uh, there's one thing I can say with certainty is that all of the rates will actually be higher than those that we have just published. And it's important to say that people will also have the benefit of their wages from work for the extra years they work. So, But at the end of the day, this is about giving people choices.
1: So you feel people will will be better off than what our callers are saying they won't be and they'll have to live until their late 80s to see a payback you feel they won't they will see a difference you disagree with yeah, our callers I they,
3: I, no well I think they will see a difference as I said every year uh, well not every well, most years the, the pension goes up it went up last year and I, I you know I'm I'm hoping to have the budget next week and uh, uh, you know we, we're hoping that there will be an increase in the pension uh, this year as well so you know over the years and we're talking about long term here now uh, there will be increases in the in the base pension and what i said is if you work, each year you work longer, the more you get. Uh, and there will be roughly between 5 and 6% of an increase between each bracket. And, uh, you know, whether it's 67, 68, 69. So each year it'll, it'll be more beneficial the longer you work. And uh, it will be actuarially uh, assessed. Uh, and uh, there is no extra cost to the exchequer in terms of giving people this uh, this uh, flexibility. And uh, I was at the Ploughing Championship yesterday and there were loads of people coming up and saying to me that uh, this is a good idea. I like the idea that I can make my own mind up. So, And that's why it's so important to say that we're not asking anybody to work on longer. We are saying the state pension age remains at 66 and you have that choice and you can work that out yourself.
1: And on the age situation, Minister Humphreys, many companies in their contracts, maybe more private companies now than public, uh, they still leave you with no choice but to exit the door at the age of 65. So for many, there's still a gap year there from the age of 65 to 66. And yes, you could say they have private pensions, but we've seen before like the last crash in this country, private pensions get wiped out and the shares at the moment and the stocks aren't fantastic. And, you know, when you do... Do end up in that situation. Uh, many feel that they they have nothing else to go to only something like the job seekers allowance. So, what about people who fall between those brackets?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, can we just say we're going to have if we're going to have a flexible pension age, that means we need to have a flexible retirement age. And uh, you know we can't have companies forcing people to retire at sixty-five uh, if they they're fit to work and they're able to do the job that they're doing. And precedent has been set on this in recent years. There was actually a high-profile case where a woman took a case against RTE on the grounds that they made her retire at sixty-five. She won that case. Uh, there is a code of practice on longer working in the Tannisters department, uh, and. Um, We recognise that this may need to be strengthened. So the government agreed that the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment and the Attorney-General will work on this issue and bring forward proposals uh, to government uh, uh, next year on how we can strengthen that situation. And can I just say that there is no compulsory Pension age or retirement age—that's that's that's, uh, that's something that doesn't people people get their contracts and they say, oh yeah, I have to go at sixty-five. I don't have a choice. But in actual fact, uh, you know, you can't be forced to uh, to, to retire because there were cases brought to the Workplace Relations Commission, uh, and they, they found that you can't discriminate against people on age grounds. Now the other thing is, we do have a payment in place called the benefit payment for sixty-five-year-olds. So if you have retired and you don't have an uh, you can't. You know. You don't have access to to anything else other than a state pension. Uh, you can. Uh You can get this payment now and we did have a situation where people were having to sign on job seekers at the age of 65 because they had to wait for the 66 before they got their full state pension. There is a benefit payment there so you can go and you can get that uh, and you don't have to be actively seeking work.
1: So when you mentioned about the changes, is there going to be legislation brought in so in contracts from private companies in particular that they will have to or they won't have written in you have to go with 65? Would that be something we will see down the road?
3: Well, well, there's a bit of work to be done on this. And as I said, the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment are going to work with the AG to see how we can strengthen uh, uh, the you know, the, the, the rights of, uh, of of workers in this situation. And uh, I, I, I don't know if it will require legislation, but if it does, obviously we'll have to do that. But again, there's a bit of work to be done on that.
1: And when we speak about all these changes and the reform within pensions, you know, the money has to come from somewhere to pay for this. And even though it will be in place by 2025, before, as you said, uh, P.R.S.I. increases is what we are hearing, and this is how it will make up the shortfall for paying this. Are we not taxing the young then? If we are increasing P.R.S.I., will the younger generation be paying for, for this for many years to come?
3: No, I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't uh, uh, you know, obviously, it's the working population that that, may, that pays the P.R.S.I. contributions, but. What I'm doing now is uh, we we all have we all know about at this stage the social insurance fund. So that's where your PRSI contributions go. It goes into the social insurance fund. And uh, in 2017 there was a, a a review of the social insurance fund and uh, a, a, it's called an actuarial review. And they had anticipated that by 2022 there was going to be a deficit. Of one billion euro in that that fund. Now there's another report currently being undertaken, and it's been actuarially reviewed again. And I'll have those figures by the end of this year. So it looks to me now that uh, instead of a deficit of one billion, we're going to have well over two billion of a surplus, and possibly closer to three billion of a surplus. So what I will be doing. in in early next year, I'll be sitting down and we'll be working out and we have to accept that uh, you know the current situation is not sustainable and we have to bring in PRSI increases so I will set out a pathway for the next 10 years but because uh, the Social Insurance Fund is in a much better place than, than we thought it would be uh, these these increases can be uh, more incremental and they, they don't have to be as steep as as what we thought they would be And do we know well, what level of looking.
1: increases we can expect Minister no. because a lot uh, of your opposition no, TDs have come out saying it's a great plan but with no looking ahead or forward thinking to how we pay for it, you know, you can announce anything and say it will work without looking in depthly on how you can afford oh, no. this
3: no 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 we're serious about getting this right and can i just say that we're bringing in an approach called total contributions approach and that's going to save us about 43 billion euro but what we're going to do is we're going to have slow and gradual increases in PRSI based on the review of the social insurance fund but i'm going to give you an example here for for example if if we increased um, all of the three um, uh, social uh, the, the three PRSI um, rates by 0.1 percent okay Uh, that cost it would would cost the average worker about 67 cent per week and that would actually bring in 210 million euro per year Uh, and over 50 years that would be about 10 billion and that's only one increase so if we go small incremental increases over time that really can have a big impact so i will be sitting down uh, as i said early next year and we're going to plan it out over 10 years. The Pension Commission report said we should do it over 30 or 40 years and in some cases out to 50 years and I don't think that uh, is the right approach. I think we should be using uh, real-time data, which I will have at the end of this year, and we can project out what PRSI increases we're going to need over the next 10 years. And the reason that the Social Insurance Fund is in such good, uh, much better shape than we thought at the minute, is because there's more people working, we have better wages, and there's higher payments going into it. And I think that's, that, that's a good thing. We know that we have a full employment and the economy is in good shape. That's not going to be always the case. So that's why I have to sit down and and, and, uh, pass, uh, and map out a pathway as to what increases are needed over the next 10 years. Uh, but I, I don't, they're not going to be uh, as, as, as deep as was initially thought. And I will have that and I will be announcing that uh, next year.
1: And when you mention increases there and you did touch on the pension and it seems like there will be an increase in this year's budget for the pension. Just an example here from Sheila on WhatsApp who says uh, the COVID payment was €350 Euros, and that was said to be a living wage. The pension is currently for Sheila €253 Euros per week. So how does Minister Humphreys expect people to survive on that? Any indication on how much the pension will increase by reports in the papers of €10? Some people say they brought it 15 euro any any thoughts on that i presume you're not going to tell us today but any indication
3: yeah well can i just say when you look at the PUP that was a that was just a straight payment uh, there are people who get the the basic uh, social welfare payment but there's a lot of add-ons and when you add back uh, perhaps the living alone allowance the fuel allowance uh, and uh, the household benefits package that actually brings brings your 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 weekly payment uh, uh, well up and much closer to what the PUP uh, payment was. And I know people make that comparison, but they're not including all the other benefits that you get uh, when, you, uh, when you qualify for, for, for the, the pension. Um, regarding uh, the budget next week, and it's not too long off now, uh, I'm still working uh, with uh, Minister McGrath in terms of putting together a package uh, that would address uh, you know, the increased costs that people are facing. My focus is particularly on the elderly, our carers and uh, uh, people with disabilities. And also, uh, I want to help uh, people who are on uh, the working family payment. So look at... uh, this, uh, this, is, this 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 is winter is going to have an impact on older people and I don't want people to be cold in their home and I have to say that that is a big priority for me.
1: So the fuel allowance which is expected to increase can we see those rates being put into place before Christmas or will they be as reported in the papers in January of next year? A lot of the political correspondents saying that it will be next year before the fuel allowance increase will be fed into the system.
3: Well, look, uh, as I said to you, I'll be sitting down again with Minister McGrath this evening. We'll be going through these things. And what both of us are focused on is trying to put together a package that's going to support people uh, over this winter and and into next
1: year. Uh, Well, maybe if you're speaking to him, maybe uh, into this year would be good for for a lot of people on to us this morning regarding the fuel loans. If you can take that feedback back to the table. And just something you Uh, touched on there. Yeah. I am listening yeah. to, you know, uh, people uh,
3: are coming forward and we are listening to them and we want to do the best we can and there's no doubt about
1: that. Yeah, and I'm sure you're getting that in your constituency offices as well. You don't need us to say it here. I'm sure you hear it in your offices. But something else you mentioned regarding work and a full workforce in this country at the moment. Andrew has texted in and he says, when you're talking about increasing social welfare payments, I am looking at signs in my local town where employers have signs up saying they can't find staff there's obviously people out there who may be out to work for a few months and are on the job seekers. There is other people out there, says Andrew, that are on this payment for a long, long time. And while others have to do a course to either come off the payment or go back on it, some people just seem to be living off the social welfare system for years. Andrew feels, why not get these people out to work instead of giving them an increase?
3: Well, can I just say that all the time uh, the live register is coming down and I think it dropped to about 2,000 in the last week. So the the fact is more and more people are uh, trying to get jobs, they're trying to get back into the workforce and through our pathways to work we have many different engagements with people through our job activation measures we meet with them we talk to them we try and match uh, um, employers who are looking for people with with those who who are looking for a job and uh, all the time we are working actively to get people reskilled and upskilled and for some people they need the confidence i'm particularly interested at returners and these are are, are mainly women who have taken time out uh, to look after family how we can help help them to get back into the workforce. They're not necessarily getting any benefits, they probably aren't actually, but we need to get more people back into a workforce because I know that it's very hard to get workers at the minute, but we're doing everything we can to help people uh, take that step back into work, and particularly the long-term unemployed uh, who have you know, it's not easy when you've been out of out of the workplace for a long time and it does need, you need to build up your confidence and you need to build up your skills so that you can get back in again.
1: Okay, I know you have other interviews and a meeting on the way so just before we, we finish up I want to bring you some reaction that has come in on text, WhatsApp and our phone calls this morning when we said you were joining us. First of all, uh, you're very aware and this will be contained in the budget as well, uh, the cost of living, the profits energy companies are making and we saw uh, Putin's address yesterday to the Russian nation, the fears ahead, will we see more changes to the energy sector right across Europe Uh, the €200 we got off our bills earlier this year there's talks again of that in the budget for this coming year other parties are saying cap the bills do you feel if you cap the bill or give the energy credit that it's still all coming from the same pot even though your colleague the Green Party leader Eamon Ryan has accused those who say we should have a cap of going down the Tory government approach
3: you know, can I just say that we're looking at all options, but I want to be very clear that we are very concerned that uh, if we did cap bills, that that could represent a blank cheque for the energy companies. So it really could give them carte blanche to charge whatever they wanted, and the taxpayer would end up uh, being saddled with that bill. And uh, I, I personally believe that we need to work with our EU partners and you know, at seeing how best we look at... Uh, you know, uh, and how we take a fair share of the large profits of energy companies and give that back to the consumer. So, as I said, we'll be working uh, at EU level, and if the, if there is uh, a decision uh, that there will be a windfall tax at EU level, I can assure you that the, our citizens, uh, the, the Irish people, will get will get that back, and we will implement that. Absolutely.
1: And would you go so, against what the UK are doing? So, I mean, it's been announced this week they're going to more or less half businesses' energy bills and they're giving another energy credit, similar to here, uh, along with capping uh, the company's uh, energy bills as well. So there'd be a cap, whatever your bill will be, it will be that price, it won't go ahead. And then there's an energy credit as well. Is it a case they have a bigger population? That just simply isn't possible here.
3: Yeah, well, what I can say is that we're we we are part of the EU So we're going to work with our EU partners and I think people look back and see what happened during COVID and we took our decisions and we didn't do what they did in the UK and we had a a lot better outcome than what happened and I saw when I was Minister for Business big headline figures from the UK on what they were going to do to support businesses and it ended up they did very little to support them so uh, in terms of what we did in this country so as I said we work with our EU partners and uh, we're looking at all the options but there is a big uh, there is a risk uh, if you cap the bills and, and, and the energy companies set the prices wherever they want we pay the difference at the end of the day it's the taxpayer pays the difference so we have to be careful and we have to protect the taxpayer as well
1: Okay and very finally just uh, more questions in from listeners Mary is uh, she wants to ask you Minister her daughter is going to Tralee College uh, MUT in Tralee and she is renting a house with four others they have to pay electricity they do the pay as you go system uh, she wants to know how will they get the 200 euro credit but I think that the companies will uh, I think you top up three times and you get the credit that way, so that that that's how that works. And Mary, they'll have to check who the bill is in. Is in, I'm right with that, Amanti? They'll have to check who the bill, his name is in, and everything like that. Uh, but one thing she wants to point out is the housemates her daughter they're doing everything they can to economise their electricity her daughter is in her final year she used to get half a grant but this year the grant has been taken over because she worked during the pandemic because her earnings went over the limit by 200 euro so what is the incentive for young people to work her rent has gone up by 400 euro for the year and she is trying to work over the weekends but now she has no grant and because she is in her final year she needs to study more so she's up at 6am every morning for the summer to get to work at 7am she's He's asking is Mary, is she being penalised for working?
3: Well, can I just say that uh, I know that Minister Simon Harris is very conscious and he's met, uh, he has met a lot of students uh, over the summer and continues to meet them on a regular basis. He's very aware of these issues. And the one thing we don't want to do is penalise people who have been out working all summer And uh, in terms of trying to provide for their education. I fully understand the situation there that Mary has pointed out. And I know that uh, Minister Harris uh, is obviously looking looking at all those things as he puts his budget package together as well.
1: And regarding the food, Michael and Castleton Bear, the cost of food as we know has increased but celiacs, the food for those who have celiac disease has increased and gone through the roof. Are you aware of anything coming down the line in the budget that will help people in that situation?
3: Yeah, well, we're looking at across the board, uh, uh, you know, increases for people that, uh, you know, to deal with the cost of living. So whether it's an energy credit or whether it's an increase in 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 uh, in, in support payments, uh, look, we're trying to put the package together. I obviously can't go into individual things, but we are trying to do it, and it's what we're trying to do in terms of is deal with the cost of living and put more money in people's pockets.
1: And just regarding the auto enrolment scheme that is going to be rolled out, can you ask the minister it says? Liam when is this going to happen when is it going to be rolled out
3: yeah, the auto enrolment scheme. We're currently uh, preparing there and, and drafting the legislation, and it will be rolled out on the first of uh, the beginning of January in 2024. And this again is another fundamental change to our pension system. So we're going to have uh, uh, the state pension, and then we'll have the auto enrolment, where people contribute uh, to their pension. Their employers contribute, and the state will top them up. So for every three euro you save in, into into your auto enrolment pension, uh, the state will give you one euro top up, and then your will match you with another three euros. So for every three euros you save, you'll end up with a pot of seven uh, euros. So that's that's something that I I got agreement for uh, earlier in the year, and uh, it's it's uh, we're working hard on that now to get that up and running as well. So really, what I'm trying to do here is is future-proof our pension system so that people can go into retirement in the knowledge that they're going to have a sufficient income to keep them going.
1: And very finally, because I know you're due to be on another radio station for an interview, this is something if you can take this back to the cabinet table I know you're getting I know all of you are getting this in your offices but if you can just take this story back because we've got I'm inundated uh, with WhatsApp calls and texts and this is about young people Uh, who unfortunately if they want to move up in their career or if they want to survive they're telling us they have to leave this country and I I know this myself I have five going away parties uh, Minister Humphreys between now and December five friends who were leaving Ireland three are just hopping over to England uh, for the reasons we've outlined about the cost of living and the fact that you know rent in Dublin for example and Cork is so high you're paying €800 for one room in a house share whereas in some cities in the UK in the north of England you know you're paying 300 to £400 sterling And I know we are living in a small country, but I mean, if you as a government minister came along to one of those going away parties, what would you say to people who don't want to leave their homeland of Ireland, but have no choice to survive and get on in life? They have to leave and they can't wait until the age of 60 to start a family or to buy a house.
3: Yeah, well, the government has a major uh, plan, and uh, it's not just a plan. There's major steps being taken in 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 order to try and improve the supply of housing in this country, and we're very conscious uh, of the difficulties that uh, people are facing. And uh, as I said, uh, Minister Darrell O'Brien, he has uh, been he, he you know—he's—he's he's pushing ahead. uh, we're driving on more houses. A lot more houses built this year than the previous year. And we'll continue to work on that as as much as we can. And as you are, the house prices
1: are increasing, which means people have no choice if they want. As I said, they don't want to be here at 60 years of age, uh, planning a family when it's too late. So they're leaving now. So uh, for those who are in their 20s and 30s, they really have no choice. For some, not all, but some have to go. Yeah, well, there's
3: different. Well, there different options. For example, I was I was speaking yesterday at the Ploughing Championship about remote working, and I was talking about the opportunities there are uh, for uh, for young people to come back to live in their communities, to live in rural Ireland which is uh, considerably cheaper than living in the cities. So maybe some could take up that option of remote working. And and, and there's remote working hubs dotted all over this country uh, with top-class facilities. And we find that there's companies coming in here, foreign companies want to invest here because we have a highly educated workforce and they want to to, to tap in uh, to that workforce and they can do it through remote working. So there are other ways, but I can just say that this government is committed to providing housing and to increase the supply of stock and that's what we have to do we need to build more houses. Well, and well, we don't want to see the young people that we have educated and they have worked hard to get their degrees we don't want to see them leaving this country but, and we will do everything we can to stop that happening.
1: And if you're sitting around that cabinet table later with the budget, those stories we're hearing about people who are going to a lot to England and northern England, cities like Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle because of the cheaper cost of living. You might relay that and maybe uh, things could improve here for the moment. I do appreciate you taking time out to chat to us this morning.
3: Okay, so thank you thank very you. much John Paul and thank, thank, you. thank you to your
1: listeners. Take care, that is Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys. Later in the programme we'll be hearing about air quality and how so many experts from UCC are now worried about the air quality across Cork for this winter they realise many won't be able to afford if they have a gas, uh, they won't be putting on the gas, uh, coal is not an option for many so a lot of people are using turf they have built up over the summer and indeed timber so we'll discuss that later, your views are welcome. Uh, but Bush, you might have seen this yesterday. This is from County Mead. It's a coffee shop owner who produced a dress code on her premises after two women came in for bref- breakfast wearing, wait for this, pyjamas and slippers. And uh, Kira Burke from Stage and Stone uh, she's just had enough of people who were coming in uh, she feels there is a time and a place for everything and coming in wearing a pyjamas into her cafe is just not on uh, she's had this happen a number of times and even those who run holidays in the area are coming in wearing their sleepwear as she calls it but uh, how do you feel about this do you agree with her I mean have you seen this I know you'd see it in the shop sometimes in supermarkets maybe early obviously early in the morning you would hope people are coming in in their pyjamas uh, in indeed in their dressing gowns running in getting something and going away again or do you think uh, that Kira is overreacting that she should not do this Uh, she's anyway now banning uh, any nightwear in her store and she's brought in a dress code Uh, your views are welcome on that is she right and what do you think or how do you feel when you see someone in a supermarket wearing a pyjamas uh, and do you think it's a bit ridiculous that surely if you're getting out of bed, you can just throw on something rather than use wearing your pyjamas or a dressing gown, going out in public and going into your local shop or in this case, your local cafe? Your views are welcome on text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three, Or you can call Bernie on 0818 103 103 on the way. Uh, Still a speculation and concern in Formoy. This is regarding the South Dock service. We discussed this about a month ago. We were told by the HSE there was uh, no plans for changes to South Dock in Formoy. But again, a speculation has come in recent weeks. And this time it's speculated that they could relocate the service to either Middleton or indeed to Glammire. We'll discuss that next. Court today on C103. Tricia, with your comment. 103 103. Now we heard a month ago with concerns in the Fermoy area regarding the South Dock service and again uh, speculation has come up in recent weeks this is over whether or not uh, this service will be moved out of Fermoy and relocated to either Middleton or indeed to Glenmire. Uh, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien was first to contact us on this uh, about a month ago if not more at this stage she rejoins me this morning. Good morning to you Deirdre. Good morning, John Paul. Uh, what is the latest situation regarding this? I mean, we, we were told from the HSE that they had no plans about, it could have been five or six weeks ago at this stage, uh, but still there is concern again has come up in the last number of weeks and speculation of, first of all, it was Middleton when we spoke to you last, but now Glammire has been mentioned.
0: That's right. Well, I suppose, John Paul, look, this has never gone away because it might have quietened, but it is quietened, but it has not but the issues haven't been addressed. So like it's going to raise its head again. It's still it's still there. Like it's it hasn't gone away. But it's just I suppose like that. You know they're pushing out there. They're not. They've no intention of closing it. But as I say, they still haven't addressed the issues, which is the shortage of doctors.
1: And And that's one of the main reasons that they they, Mm -hmm. they have intervened on that is because they can't get GPs in the area to cover the service at night. But the issue was raised at a motion before Cork County Council's Northern Committee by our colleague Franco Flynn this week. Many, though, are saying, Deirdre, that this could be the HSE playing games to find out their reaction from the public first on the move before they make changes to the facility. Would you agree with that?
0: Yeah, definitely. And like, look, I would definitely say political pressure, um, people power. I'm a huge, bigger believer of it. Certainly, there was that that outcry. Certainly quelled it there for a while, but it will. I know it will come again because as I said situation, the issues haven't been addressed. They need to look at, like I was saying, like look at the doctors' salaries, look at the conditions. And um, you know, I suppose you see lots of companies now meeting their staff and discussing how best to give um, the, the work-life balance. And how to make people happier in their roles and like I think kind of thing. I suppose COVID gave us a lot of that Th- you know, made us think about maybe what running, you know, um, around the country and realise that, you know, life is passing us by or whatever but, you know, so I do think they need to sit down and Look at the real big issue. That's fine. Okay, I don't have the solution to the answer to your say, but I suppose I see what the problems are. And you can't leave the rural area without
1: a doctor, sir. Well, it's a huge I, area, dear Jerry. I mean, Vermoe, it covers the Limerick to Tipperary borders, all that my region, all that Mitchellstown region. And we've also been made aware that some staff that have retired over the years and others that have moved to different areas of the HSC, are they not being replaced? That's it, you see. Like, we're not. Look. We don't get the full facts,
0: really, to be honest with you. But what we're fearing is that there is, like, this, they, um, we're seeing. It's hard to even get to a GP because our GPs are saying they are overworked, that they don't. There's a two-week wait getting to a GP. Like, it's, it's it's unheard of what's actually happening at the moment. And if I have to go, if I had to drive to Glanmar or Milton, you'd nearly go to the city then because in the case, of, if you're going to go sent to A&E, you might go straight to a e And that's what's that going to happen then? Is going to. Um, make a worse situation, yeah. a bad situation worse inside there.
1: Yeah, builds up what well already is that yes, really extremely yeah. busy yeah. In, in both the yeah. Mercy and indeed yeah. uh, CUH. Yeah. The building they're in in Formoy, I mean, could that be an issue?
0: Well, I haven't heard that now, to be honest with you, but if looked it is, look, again, like that, if that's something that can be addressed. Mm. You know, if a building the building. This is You're talking people's lives at this stage here. You're talking the people that really, you know, that, let's say, you can't plan who you're going to get sick and accidents happen. You know, so you do, de- and like, are you something you might need him to go to the hospital for, but you're going to go there as opposed to if you're going to go to, as if to drive, if I to drive to, to, to Middleton from here, I'm going to go to Middleton, I'm going to go straight to Cork. You know, True. so, yeah. But like, they just need to, I don't know, this is going on and on, John Paul. And I suppose, I feel if we take our, you know, our eye off the ball, something, it, it could happen, it could slip over under us. And like, that's, you've seen that with banks and everything, you know, that this has happened. So that is why I'm adamant that this has to be kept to and it has to be, really pressure put on at all parts. And I do think they need pressure to to look at how best they can address this. They can't just... It's not a a, a box-ticking exercise here. This is people's lives that... Um,
1: at stake. Well, we'll we'll recontact the HSC on this matter today and hopefully get something concrete back at this stage. The last time, as I said, we, we didn't get anything guaranteed, just that they were not aware of any changes, but there was nothing guaranteed in writing uh, on the future of the service. So we'll see what comes back this time around. We'll stay on top of that for the moment, Deirdre. Thanks for joining us this morning. No, by the
0: way, Thanks indeed,
1: John. Uh, that is Councillor Deirdre O'Brien joining us uh, regarding that issue of South Dock in Frome in the future of the service uh, for the entire region there of Frome, Mitchelstown and indeed, the borders of Limerick and Tipperary. We've had a lot of calls and comments in regarding our chat with the Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys. Uh, we'll get to those after C103 News at 11. Uh, but your views are welcome. Bernie, taking your calls on 0818103103, 103. text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Good morning to you on this Thursday morning. It's JP in for Patricia until one. Bernie, taking your calls and comments on 0818103103, 103. or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 later after 12.30 Jane Pickett will join us looking for your pet questions for Jane. she would have advice for any pets you have in your household and shortly we'll be discussing air quality in Cork but a lot of people have been on to us regarding our chat earlier with the Minister for Social Protection Heather Humphreys and what's likely to happen with that pension reform and indeed the budget next Tuesday. First of all uh, when we were discussing that and how they will pay for this pension reform I put it to her about the young people, young workers will be uh, paying for this reform in increases within the PRSI. And John is pointing out that in the Kinney, he says, doubled the PRSI contributions a number of years ago. Uh, that would be well over 10 years ago, I suppose, at this stage. Uh, thank you, John, for your text. Alan in Mallow is reacting to Andrew. Uh, when Andrew was asking the Minister earlier how or why are they increasing a lot of the payments within social welfare, when Andrew feels there's a lot of people out there who are on social welfare for a long, long time. Yes, there is people who are on JobSeeker's Allowance and they're on it for maybe six months or a year until they find a job. And many have to go off and do courses to prove that they are looking for employment. But Andrew's point was there's a lot of people who just stay on social welfare for life and never work. So why give them an increase if they won't go out and work? Well, Alan Imbalo says... Uh, no wonder people stay on social welfare because the payment is way better they are far better off in life so why would they work and also if the government got off their backsides and did something about all the price rises Alan says I had to sell my car three weeks ago because I could not afford to keep it going that's the reality on the ground this meant uh, that I also had to give up work and it's now that we need an extra money and not in four months time in January and I did put that to the Minister, also regarding the feudal allowance, because even though there's reports it will be increased, they have said in those reports that you may see an increase in the feudal allowance from next year, which could be January or February of next year. And I was explaining and saying that it's no good, and people wish for that change in the feudal allowance before the end of this year. Uh, so they are going to bring that to the cabinet table but I don't know if it's going to make any difference enough than what we say here Uh, but thank you Alan and Mallow for your text to 0862103103. And also on the social welfare side of things uh, Somebody here is saying The cost of living It's skyrocketing as we all know But it's going to get tougher for me to heat And indeed to eat this winter And obviously I have to do both Uh, I am in I am 64 years old I am on disability So what are they going to do to help us this winter Well you know she didn't elaborate on what the increases exactly will be As it's going to be released in the budget We have heard of increases of around 10 euros In the state pension Uh, what individual other increases and allowances will change by we're unsure as yet but whether they will come to fruition or not we will find out for definite next Tuesday Uh, but obviously she wasn't going to outline the full budget to us today but they say they are going to have increases in all sectors so we will wait and see if that will be one of them and on the pension age then and the fact you can work until you're 70 and that would increase your pension pot uh, and this is uh, what a lot of people were saying earlier in the week as well to us Uh, No name on this text, but this person is a fabricator, uh, 47 years old, and his job is extremely physical and very straining on his body. And most people with physical jobs have back pain and other problems. And we are all out to reach the retirement age as it is. Are we, the physical workers in all trades, to be punished by making us work longer to receive a greater pension? which others will say is a very good point I mean you can only and we did raise that earlier on the week as well on the show that for those in construction like that person there and others you can't keep going forever you can only work until a certain age because you get older and it gets tougher to do the increasing physical work and the demands that are out there now in the workplace Jim says whatever happens JP with this budget they'll give it out with one hand and they'll take it away with another increase in the carbon taxes due from the 1st of August October. So there, we'll see it all going away again, says Jim, on uh, text. And another person on WhatsApp, we did mention this as well, regarding the caps, and they're not going to go down that road. They feel, uh, as the minister explained, that they are giving money to the energy companies if they do go and put on a cap on energy bills. That's what she said regarding Ireland's view I did mention England and somebody on WhatsApp is saying England are going to cap the bills so why can't this government do the same they do everything that England do anyway and they say they can't they're going working here in Ireland with our EU colleagues. Uh, really, I suppose, then that means that England don't have to do it that way because they're now out of the EU. And uh, Morris in Glonthorn on the argument of young people that will face higher PRSI charges to pay for these pension changes. Uh, Morris says that is how the world works. When Morris was young, he paid into the pension pot. All today's young people will be expecting a pension when their time comes. Uh, John and Mallow says delaying the pension age, will that then stop young people from coming? into the labour market as people stay there longer in their jobs. Vacancies will be slower to arise because of that. And uh, for the likes of Mary and Caroline, Mary is a pensioner, uh, but because she lives or her son lives with her, she is not allowed the feudal allowance. Her son is on a low income and a lot of older people can't get the feudal allowance because of this situation. They're over the threshold when they apply for the feudal allowance. And I suppose, Mary, a point there is a lot of younger people are returning home over the last year or two years due to the cost of living due to the high cost of rents, which I did put to the minister and I explained how so many people are leaving this country to go to England or go to the likes of Australia and their careers they have and their professions that allows them to do this and they can get work in those countries and the main reason they are going is because of the high cost of rent but also the high cost if you want to buy a house eventually Uh, you can see elsewhere of some hope whereas many people feel here in Ireland they can't now she did put forward the point of remote working in the hubs that are opened up across the country and you could work uh, for a multinational company while living in a rural area Uh, but many people feel if they have to go up the ladder in work they do need to be within the office or in the office so many days a week so people are leaving uh, the country and on that when we did mention England and I, I did put a tour about the areas of North England that we are hearing uh, people moving to. Dhoni is a new market. Doney said he lived in England and the wages are very low in the north of England. He knows people who had to move down to the south to get better pay. And the argument there could be if you go to the likes of London, you're paying high rents probably higher than Dublin uh, or the same as Dublin in many areas depending where you are it's a big area uh, but the cost of rent in some cities in the north of England is quite lower and a lot lower than Dublin and indeed London hints why the wages then will be lower the cost of living is lower uh, the cost of doing a supermarket shop is lower well, every country is having the problems with the cost of living uh, but people feel they can make a better stab at it if they go to England and they go to Australia uh, and that is what is happening that is what we are hearing so thank you for your calls and texts on to Dock in Formoy we discussed that earlier concerned what will happen with South Dock uh, there's a few questions coming in about the building Uh, earlier on and one person here on WhatsApp is saying is there not a new health centre built and ready to go in Formoy so if there was an issue with the building South Dock could it not work out of there Uh, or is the building going to be left empty no I mean that could be an option it could go if there's space in that building it could go to there not too sure if there's a a question over the existing building for South Dock or not that hasn't really come up Uh, but if there is there's an option it could go to the new health centre if there was a, a problem there and a lot of people have been on regarding the story uh, out of Mead and this is where uh, a cafe owner in Mead she has decided that enough is enough she's sick of people coming into her cafe wearing their pyjamas or their nightgowns or basically wearing nightwear and she has brought in a dress code to ban nightwear in her cafe a lot of people are reacting first of all uh, the girls in Mala who are tuned in say yes that person she is perfectly right to do this they're just lazy to change their clothes unreal They go to bed in those clothes And then they go out in those clothes. It's disgraceful, said the girls in Mallow. While Brendan says, it would be a lot worse if they did not wear their sleepwear and then they came out in their birthday suits, says Brendan. While Kate says, I don't mind people dropping their children off to school while wearing nightwear as they're in the car and, you know, they're probably rushing trying to get the kids out in the morning to go X to Y back to the school. uh, So I don't mind that. But I have seen people shopping in their dressing gowns. I just could not do it. I had to double take one day, says Kate, to see was this person wearing a furry coat or was it a dressing gown? And it was a dressing gown. Uh, No, not for me. And wearing slippers while shopping, I just could not do it, says Kate. While this is somebody else who doesn't want their name mentioned, but uh, they have a different take on this. They say... On that issue, I would agree with Ish. I never went into any of these shops or cafes with nightwear, but maybe there is a lot of people that have health problems which could have depression or IBS problems. Nobody should judge anyone as people don't know their circumstances. Also, a lot of these people could be in abusive relationships and just want to get to a safe place fast, at least. They have clothes on them. It would be a lot worse if they went in naked. Uh, But at the way things are going with the government, there'll be a lot more people going into places with nightwear as they can't afford heating at home and they'll be using their nightwear to keep them warm. That is just my... My opinion on the subject and thank you for your WhatsApp on that. And you're right about people going into places. Now, I don't know how this would work, but in the papers this morning, uh, they're talking of people who will be going into bars and restaurants uh, just to keep themselves warm uh, up to this winter. But then if you're going into a restaurant or bar, does that not defeat the purpose that you're going to have to spend money in that bar and restaurant? So would that money just be spent at home then on the heating and you're going to have to go home then and the house is cold so I don't know how that would work but uh, it is something that has been spoken about and we are going to hear what you can do if you find yourself in a situation buying a smartphone or any technology item and when you leave the store you realise oh this is not what I asked for Uh, can you get money back can you get the exact same model with what you want well uh, we'll discuss that with Dermot Jewell before midday but a few people reacting to our story earlier and from yesterday on the lady who went in to get a phone and came out with a different phone and many have said on text this morning that lady should have checked her phone before she left the shop to make sure it done what she wanted it to do. Uh, then, under warranty, she should be able to change her phone and yeah, I mean, I suppose it's easy when you're promised something by a sales assistant, you trust that person and that's what she did. Uh, anyhow, she will we'll get more advice on people because a lot of those phones, when you purchase them and, and the cheaper models, they don't come uh, with a warranty. Anyhow, thank you for your texts or WhatsApps and indeed calls. Keep those coming to us a lot more to get through across the show. 0818 103 103, or indeed text or WhatsApp 086 Have you been stocking up your turf? Or your timber over the last few months and are you going to burn turf and timber despite the national ban a lot of people are going to do that because they have it and you're allowed to use it if you have stocked up on it uh, but is that going to affect your air quality well we'll discuss that next
0: C103 Jobs
1: and on today's jobs spot, we have vacancies for an experienced driver who's required at a busy site in the Blackpool area. You'll need experience. You can email your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. A sales assistant is required for the three mobile phone store in Bandon. It's a temporary position for five months, four to five days per week, including weekends. You can email your CV to manager. Bandon three dot and a relief worker is needed for a herd of one hundred cows in the Rylan area. Call zero eight six three one nine three six five one. We know these jobs and more. They're online right now. Just go to c 103ie dot ie forward slash job. Leading air pollution experts have warned that the burning of highly polluted solid fuels this winter is likely to increase due to the energy crisis. Dr. Dr. John Wagner of the Centre for Research in Atmospheric Chemistry in UCC joins me this morning on this. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. I mean, many people have contacted us here saying that there will be burning of timber and other items this winter. Many people have stocked up on that and turf because they know the cost of oil and gas is going to be so high uh, this coming winter. So we are expecting an air quality drop due to this. I think
4: so. Um, So the Department of Environment has brought in a smoky fuels ban from the 31st of October. So I'd imagine people are stocking up in advance of that, and and the ban really covers the most polluting solid fuels. So we're talking about smoky coal, but we're also talking about peat, and we're also talking wet wood as well. So so wood that is not seasoned, those the those are the most polluting uh, fuels, and and that's the reason why they have been brought into the legislation. Uh, now, obviously, with the the timing is a bit unfortunate. Obviously, with the energy crisis and the cost of living crisis. So obviously we're anticipating that um, people will be burning their solid fuels. And um, in many cases, if that's the only source of heat, then obviously it has to be done. There's no no doubt about that. That's why we're anticipating a problem
1: with air quality. And we have seen areas of Cork over the last year where they've had really low air quality. McCroom was one of those towns that came up and also areas of the city north side featured last year when this was discussed and we did check in on McCroom yesterday because they have a a quality uh, air quality monitor there that checks the air quality and it came up yesterday saying that the dominant pollutant in the area was O3. When I checked that out it said it was ground level ozone which usually comes from cars. So when you look at the emissions that you have in busy towns like Macroom, uh, because of traffic's so high going through the town, and then you feature in the fact that people are going to be burning a lot more this winter, will this have an effect then on, on those who suffer, uh, for example, from asthma or, or those type of diseases whereby they find it tough enough to breathe? And I'm with the lower air quality. So
4: um, I, I live in Macroom. As it happens, oh, do you? Okay, I'm, I'm sitting in my room, my room I'm working from home today in Macroom, um, and I'm fully aware of the EPA monitoring network. There is a particulate monitor network that's in place, and there's a PM sensor, as it's called, in in, in Macroom. So it measures air pollution. The measure of the particles in the air. There's no measurement of ozone in, in Macroom. So somehow you got onto some web page that was estimating ozone concentration, okay? So there's no measurement of ozone in Macroom. Uh, at all. So I, I don't think your source is reliable there. I would go to the EPA website and you can click on the link from the Chrome, and you can see the particulate matter concentration. So this is the pollutant that we're most concerned about here. And it is produced from a variety of sources, but by far the dominant source and our research has shown this in cities and towns across the country, the largest...
1: Mother's Day is around the corner.
4: source of air pollution is solid fuel burning we get peaks of solid we get peaks of pollution during the winter months timing exactly with evening times when people are setting fires and so on so wherever we go in the country whether it's dublin cork Galway we've been in um, Killarney, and Burr um, we've been in Eden Derry, we're going to go to Dungarvan this winter everywhere we go it's the same pattern and, and,
1: when, and
4: when we and when, and when we measure the composition of the particles we show that the dominant source of those particles is actually peat, okay? Um, so, So, peat and wood and coal all contribute to air pollution, which goes into our lungs and affects our health. And that's the reason why the legislation is being brought in, okay?
1: So, and would would they even though that I think it's was the weather ground website we were looking at yesterday that that, that was reporting on, on the O three, uh in McCroom and that O three then when we looked into it was saying it was from cars, but if that if the one there, as you say, doesn't report that, surely though cars because if you're in McCroom, you know McCroom well, the traffic is there's constant traffic going into McCroom. That must have a negative effect on the air quality though.
4: There is, but we see by far the largest source of particles in the air is from solid fuel burning in the evening not during the morning. Um, Now, we're also involved in another project in Cork City, which is called Clean Air Together, and that is about a citizen science project putting tubes up around the city to trap nitrogen dioxide, and nitrogen dioxide is probably the most important pollutant in terms of traffic. It's a gas, and it comes out mainly of diesel exhausts. And so we're not measuring NO2 in in, in McCroom, but if you were to measure NO2 on a roadside location, it would be much higher. That's right. But the particulate pollution isn't especially large because, because of traffic. It contributes, but it's not the main source. Um, so, obviously, removing traffic from uh, the town centre of McCroom, um, especially through traffic, is a good idea. We know that about 60 to 70% of vehicles travelling through the town uh, are just passing through. Uh, and, and so we get nothing other than pollution and the noise from them. So I do think, obviously, the, the bypass will have its benefits for air quality. Um, but solid fuel burning or massive reductions in solid fuel burning would be even better.
1: And the air pollutants you mentioned there from those solid fuels, I mean, when we look towards Ireland, first of all, I I think there was reports this week of 1,300 premature deaths due to poor air quality. Uh, How do we fare compared to the EU when it comes to that side of things?
4: So, as it turns out, we're lucky. We live... uh, uh, We live in the Atlantic um, Ocean, more or less, and so we get very frequent um, uh, winds. We get uh, most southwesterlies, which often take the pollution away. And as a result, we do get a good amount of dispersion of pollution. So I think we benefit from that. Um, So our position means that we are fortunate in that sense. Uh, When the wind drops or we get a change in the weather, you know, there's cold, still winter nights where there's no wind we get very little dispersion. And those are the nights that we, we see these serious air pollution events. Um, we see typically around about a dozen of those events every winter period. Um, and, and during those conditions, we get very high concentrations. So concentrations of air pollutants can exceed um, you know, some of the largest cities in Europe and, and reach some of these cities in in, in China, for example. So um, we do have these strong air pollution events during the winter and, and They're at the times to avoid going outdoors,
1: to be honest. And with the new laws that are now in place regarding the smoky coal ban, and even though people are stocking up for this winter, uh, things should improve next year. So regarding air quality in this country, if there's less and less of those solid fuel burnings going to go on.
4: Yeah, we hope so. I mean, the aim really is to move away from solid fuel burning eventually. I know that in places that have no choice, that solid fuel burning is the only source of heat, then they have no choice. But we need to help those people move away from solid fuel burning. It's inefficient, first of all, and and also it's very polluting. And In the end, we need to move away from burning all sorts of carbon-based fuels, whether they're coal or peat or wood, because, of course, they add to the climate problem. So we do need to switch to renewables. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, And and we've been calling for uh, the Department of Environment to put in place supports, to allow people to move away from solid fuel burning to support them to invest in renewable energy sources as well and i do think that is the change that's going to happen over the next few decades and the sooner we start moving away from solid fuels the better so hopefully this is the start of it i know this winter is going to be tricky and maybe even next winter could be tricky as well in 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 terms of um, managing the cost of a transition but the government needs to step in and support people here
1: (laughs) and finally last year we spoke to another person involved in research into our atmosphere and they went as long, and I suppose it is going to happen, to remove and get rid of our cosy fireplaces. It is happening in new builds where there's no fireplaces and there's a different heating system in the homes uh, for those, I mean, if, as you say you're a McCroom, a lot of homes in macroom will have a fireplace, you'll see the smoke and I know there'll be most majority using smokeless coal uh, from next month Would you go with that argument that people should just get rid of their cosy fireplaces now or leave them empty and continue with oil and other sources? Oh,
4: that's a tricky question. I mean, open fireplaces are the uh, least efficient in terms of energy and the most polluting. So the open fireplaces, you can move away from those at all, then do. Uh, ultimately, though, we do need to move away from solid fuel bin altogether. So if you look to install a very efficient stove, that would be beneficial. But then there are costs associated with that. Would it be worthwhile investing in a stove or saving up and going for uh, renewable energy as a heat pump um, in in, in a year or two's time. I mean, that's the dilemma that I think most people are going to face. We have a similar situation in our house. We we have oil-fired heating, um, and and we have the occasional fire, right, on on, on cold nights. So we're in the same position as everybody else. Um, And we can't afford a heat pump yet. Um, So even on a a good salary from UCC, we we can't afford it. Um, So I do think that we do need additional support to help people make the change. Um, and and, and then the benefits will be there for air quality, health and for climate.
1: Yeah, and further grants, as you mentioned there, so people can actually go and afford and make those changes in their homes. For the moment, that was very really interesting on our air quality. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning on that and the best of luck to you. OK, thank you very much. Thank you. Dr. John Wagner. there joining us. He's from the Research into Atmospheric Chemistry in UCC. Your views are welcome on 0818 103 103, or you can text or WhatsApp oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Buying technology. Have you problems or do you face uh, problems when you go in and try to buy anything like a smartphone or indeed uh, a laptop? We'll discuss that next. Uh, following calls yesterday, Dermot Jewell from the Consumer Association will join us. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
0: Cork Today on c
1: 103.
0: Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086
1: 2103 103 yesterday on the show we received a text from a person who went in to purchase a mobile phone in a phone store but when she left she realised the phone she requested did not do what she wanted it to do and many people whom we told the story yesterday said uh, that lady should get her money back. Well we've gone for advice and who better to go to none other than Dermot Jewell from the Consumer Association of Ireland. Dermot good morning to you. Good morning John Paul. Now this is a lady who was on to us yesterday as I mentioned, went into his door, told the assistant behind the counter she wanted a new mobile phone to do X, Y and Z. Uh, She does and goes to college part-time. She had a number of assignments to do, uh, so she wanted a phone to do her daily uh, routine stuff, but also to help with these assignments When she left the store and came home, she realized the phone could not do what she asked the sales assistant for it to do. Um, So many people, when we told the story, felt that this lady would be entitled to a refund and get her money back. And a lot of other people, Dermot, felt that this could be some of the newer phones on the market where they don't have Google Play Store installed. So a lot of the Google services you might use for college or a lot of the apps that are only available on Google or indeed on iPhone, Apple Store, uh, they may not be available on these own phones and their own stores. So uh, that could be another reason why she could not use this phone for, for college purposes, for example. Is she, though, entitled to her money back?
5: Well, it's an interesting question. And the reality is that, uh, be, particularly when you mentioned that, that there and everybody would know that, particularly a professional seller. Um, you you mentioned she went to a, a phone store so they know the business um, and they're deemed that they must know the business and what they're selling. So if you make a specific, if you like, detailed request of them um, to purchase a phone with particular facilities, um, that's what they would supply to you. That's what they should and must supply to you, um, because it, we come back to the very basics of consumer law, which are a, an item sold must be fit for purpose and as described. And in this case, it was the consumer who described what she wanted. And that phone was sold to her on the basis that it did have those facilities. It does not. So it fails the provisions of the Sale of Goods and Supply Services Act, which currently exists, in that it's therefore not fit for the purpose for which it is intended and that she specifically requested. Um, And therefore, it's not of of the quality that she wants it to be, and it's not as described um, to her. It was described to her and sold to her as meeting the the, 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 the provisions that she wanted, so to all intents and purposes, um, your your first group of listeners are entirely correct um, and that she is entitled to a refund because it's not what she asked for. She didn't get what she wanted and paid for, and therefore she's entitled to bring it back for a full refund. Or they may try to <clears throat> excuse me provide her with a phone that does do what it's supposed to do, as she originally requested. But the, the key point is she's entitled to a full refund, so she can go anywhere where there is a phone that provides the service and the, the facilities that she does need.
1: And as this was a sale of a technology item, is it something that sales assistants need to be aware of that many may be out there realising a person that comes into their store is not tech savvy? And could they be taken advantage of?
5: It's a very good point, because yes, they can. And it works both ways. And the, the key element here is training for the for the for the staff um and, and, and I, I mean this in the best possible way because if a consumer comes in and says, I want a phone I want a phone to that will do as you said X, y, and Z, then if if they have the proper training, they will say, oh, we have one or we have four models or we have ten models or we have no models that do that currently. And that's the key element. They have to be able to provide what has been requested for because as I say, you enter, consumer enters into a contract. They ask for something, and if they're provided what, with it, it's, it's deemed to be what they asked for. Um, and if it's not, there's a problem. And here we have a problem today. But you're right that into the future and around that, if somebody is not tech savvy, they are asking for a, a particular facility they're either used to or somebody told them, particularly, let's say, for college, you need a phone that does X, Y, and Z. So they go and they ask for it. They're sold something. If it doesn't work and if it doesn't do that, it's useless to them. And they did ask for it. They were sold it, uh, assuming that it did do that. It can't. So we're back into the situation of, as I say, consumer law provides for the remedy to be the the first opportunity is um, a refund.
1: And that would apply for any technology, not just phones we're mentioning here. I mean, if you go in and purchase a laptop from a store and you want X amount of memory, you come home and realize it doesn't have that amount of memory. You have the same calls like that lady will have at the moment to go back and get a refund or get a, a model that actually has the level of memory you want.
5: Yeah, that's a perfect example because that's that's the key element. People go into a store to buy a product, but any kind of a tech product, it doesn't matter what it is exactly, as you say, or any kind of a product, with a particular need in mind. If it's a city, they want it to be a two-seater or a three-seater, and that's what they should get. That's what they will pay for. If it's a tech model and they want a particular memory capacity, that's what they should get because that's what they've been asked to pay for. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, it's it's it kind of is very simple, but it, it particularly when technology, as you say, quite correctly, comes into it, one side or the other may get confused. But the confusion is eroded by the simple provision of the law, which is if you did not get what you were told you were getting, then the contract is broken. It's not what it was made to, to it, what what the, there's an offer, there's acceptance and there's payment Um this product was offered to the consumer um, as having the requirements she wanted. It doesn't so the contracts broken.
1: Well, it's a word of advice for everybody, Dermot, and especially for those who are uh, purchasing new Android phones in particular. Just going on the calls we've got outside of the lady that contacted us first, other people in the meantime, uh, double check that Google Play Store is on those phones and due to the majority of, of new phones to the market using their own uh, store and not Google. So just double check that before you leave the store to avoid any hassle. But the main thing is you are entitled to your money back. If you ask for something, you don't get it. And, and that's good news.
5: You certainly are. And, and you're, you're entirely right to point out those very specifics. Uh, technology changes at a rapid speed, a rapid pace. Oh. Um, and as I say, sellers need to keep up with it, not just consumers.
1: True, very true. Dermot, as always, thank you for your words of advice. And no doubt we'll speak again to you real soon. My pleasure. Thank you. Take Bye. care. You have to say a big well done and congrats to Paul O'Donovan and Fenton McCarthy of Skibbereen Rowing Club. They have advanced to the final of the lightweight men's double skulls at the World Championships. They're in the Czech Republic at the moment. And of course, the Olympic champions, they won that semi final a short time ago, just before 11 a.m. And that books their place now in Saturday's A final. So well done to them both, of course. They are currently the Celtic Ross Hotel West Cork Sports Star overall winners. And that award scheme is run with ourselves here at C103 and the Southern Star newspaper. But uh, two fantastic guys. We've interviewed them and spoke with them over the years, both here in in the studio and at the Celtic Ross Hotel in Ross Carbury for our outside broadcast. So uh, well done to them both. And the very best of luck to them on Saturday as they represent Ireland once again. Uh, the gold winners well done to them both and then Margaret Crimin and Aoife Casey they've also qualified for the A final of the lightweight women's double skulls Uh, they finished second place in their semi-finals so well done to them as well both of them of course Aoife Casey uh, well known uh, daughter of Dominic who is coach to so many award winners over the years at Skibbereen Rowing Club so hello to all in Skibbereen, and well done to all involved there Uh, JP in for Patricia Bernie taking your comments on the phone right now 0818 103 103 you can text or whatsapp 0862103103. 103 and those same numbers if you have a pet question for Jane Pickett of the Island Wood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket Jane will join us after 12.30 uh, so if you have a, a pet question for her uh, get that into us and we will put that to Jane later in the programme but a lot of calls and comments in on what we've been discussing across the show so far and first of all before we get into those comments Margaret has been in touch on WhatsApp and she wants to know if any of our listeners have any idea on how to preserve an old Bible, and this Bible is from 1966, now it's a hard cover and it's six centimeters thick. So, any idea how we can help, Margaret? Anybody who maybe knows of keeping old books in libraries, how you keep them fresh and well? This is an old Bible. Uh, let us know. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103 now something else that has just come into us to Bernie on the phone Uh, This is Alice. Alice is living in Mallow and she wants to warn people of this and this could be happening in any town because usually when we mention something like this we get a call from another town saying the same is happening here so just be uh, on watch and again for anybody vulnerable that may be out and about shopping uh, or on their own. Alice uh, this morning was approached by two women and they approached her for help. They claim they are stranded and that they needed a train and a train fare to get back to Dublin. Now, she had no change, so when she said, sorry I have no change, they asked her could she go to the bank link for money? Now, immediately Alice got suspicious and she gave them nothing and walked away but then she met a few of her friends later on in and around Mallow. She's heard since that they are in and around Mallow for a while and all week and they're like this begging basically from people is what some are saying or asking for help in this way now she went to report them to the Gardaí uh, but she's horrified to think that people have been taken advantage of already Uh, So just a word of warning if you know of someone who may be shopping on their own in any town across Cork this has come from Malo but it could be anywhere Uh, just to be aware and be mindful uh, people out there who are claiming when you say they're looking for change then they ask you go to the bank link my fear there is if you went to the bank link if someone did decide to go and they're standing behind you uh, would they make you take out a lot more than you should. Uh, And that is the worry also, apart from pen numbers or anything like that. So just beware. I mean, you know, there's people in need like that. There is places for them to get help rather than asking randoms on a street. Uh, And Alice, well done for picking up straight away. You knew uh, from uh, dealing with them uh, that it wasn't right and and contacted the Gardaí. Just a word of warning for those across all... This is Mallow, but it's happened in, but it's happened, it could happen in, in any town across Cork. And we have heard that before. They'll be in one town one day Uh, They could be in another town another day. So just be aware. And we, earlier on, we were speaking with the Minister for Social Protection, uh, Minister Heather Humphreys. Uh, One person, this was Andrew on text, when they were talking about increasing social welfare payments. Andrew was making the point that Why? Every shop he looks at, every cafe, they're looking for staff. So, why would they go and increase social welfare payments when employers are crying out for staff? Uh, Well, on this, and this is an example of why some people remain on social welfare because they can't get off the system. And even though Heather Humphreys did say and acknowledge uh, we are doing well regarding employment, uh, there is some people who still remain. Uh, on social welfare, Andrew's point, it wasn't people, by the way, who were on it for six months or a year on Job Seekers Allowance. His point is people who were on it for life. And while some people are on social or Job Seekers Allowance and they're told go and do a course, uh, he feels there's people on it for 20, 30, 40 years and they remain on it and that they should not be on uh, Job Seekers when there is jobs out there. Well, one person has been in touch with us via email and her story is uh, that she's been on social welfare since she was 20. She is now 34 with four children and is finding it very hard then to get off social welfare. She's completed a college course last year in the hopes of getting full-time work once she has a qualification, but uh, no joy with that. Now, she's gone for multiple interviews for the community employment schemes and was offered one recently only to be told that it wouldn't be worth her while to accept it. Why? Why? Because she would be coming out with less than she gets at the moment. Because she has her children as dependents on her social welfare claim and is on a higher income than most, so would automatically be taxed. She would have to be working 19 and a half hours a week for an extra €22.50 only for her to be taxed that and more every week. So it wouldn't be worth her while. Uh, So that's a a, a reason why one person who has contacted us remains on social welfare trying to get off it. But... It wouldn't be worth her while. She would lose out. So, another person that did raise that earlier said it isn't worth some people who wish to get off social welfare. It's not worth their while because they'll lose out in the long run with certain benefits, and that proves it there. Thank you for your email to cork today at c103.ie. I'll stay on that topic on pensions this time and John is saying JP uh, when you were discussing there regarding what could happen with a pension increase in the budget which of course is next Tuesday John says if there is a pension rise of 10 euros for example which is being reported that it could be in and around 10 euros. Uh, John says this is at 4% of the pension while inflation is at 9%. Many groceries have gone up 20% and people will just not be able to cope. People need to come onto the streets like we did with the water protests and then maybe the government will take notice, says John. Uh, Well, on the cost of living side of things you've mentioned there with the groceries, there was a protest last Saturday in Cork City regarding this, regarding the cost of living and the increase in grocery shopping, in fuel, in in everything really. And there's another national protest this Saturday in Dublin and we discussed it on the show on Monday so uh, there are protests out there not directly to do with the pension increase but uh, more so to do with the cost of living. Uh, are the government going to take notice? I'm not sure. There was a huge crowd on Saturday. There'll be a bigger crowd again, I'm sure, in Dublin on uh, this coming weekend. But whether or not it drives at home, we'll have to wait and see. And when we spoke there about air quality and we were mentioning and discussing how uh, scientists and researchers from UCC, they really feel that coming into this winter and they're aware people won't be uh, using gas and maybe oil if they have that as much that people are going to stock up and have already with turf and solid fuels, basically uh, timber and more. And it is going to drive air quality down across Cork. And while we were discussing that, I did mention about traffic and cars and they're more worried about the solid fuel. Uh, they feel that causes more long term damage than the uh, traffic, which is going through a town. Or traveling through a town, Jared uh, then asks, "Well, what about all the thousands of ten to fifteen-year-old diesel cars that are driving around all over the place? And then these cars, uh, they're spewing out carcinogenic particles in every street and housing estate because they have had their DPF filters removed." For cost saving We don't hear a word about this From the Green Party Or the Irish Cancer Society And then to top it off They pay 200 euros road tax While those of us driving clean petrol cars Pay 700 euros to 1500 euros Why is that? Says Ger On text to oh eight six two one zero three one zero three. Well I suppose it depends on the car First of all You're driving a petrol car If it's costing you 700 seems like a lot For I'm not too sure what year A car you have But it's, it's a lot of money Uh, for a petrol car paying that high tax usually uh, about 200 to 300 to 350 is is, is the usual I thought for tax uh, for a petrol car it's just I suppose the the CC and stuff would uh, make a difference and the age Uh, but yeah I mean you have a point where some of those older cars do have higher emissions and that does lead to poor air quality as well and we have heard some before uh, from the Irish Cancer Society on this the Greens maybe they're word of using public transport is their way of getting around that I'm not too sure uh, even though speaking to people from the Charleville area yesterday uh, who can't avail of public transport it's there but the wrong time so they have no choice then but to go along and use their car so yeah it, it, does, it does it does all pay off when it, when you see that you have so many of those older cars spewing out as you say that type of of diesel and then not much said about it anyway uh, thank you for your text Gerard to 0862-103-103 earlier on we were discussing the situation from County Meath and this was a coffee shop owner who has introduced a dress code on her premises after two women came in for breakfast wearing pyjamas and slippers so she's banning nightwear uh, basically from her coffee shop and we were asking people their view on this and many people agree with her and some are saying you don't know also a person's own circumstance they could be running away from a situation maybe that's why they're uh, running in in their nightwear but here's a story from Sarah on this because Sarah was in a hairdresser's recently and a young girl in her 20s was in getting her hair done but she was in her PJs and her slippers and was all talked to the hairdresser and was talking about fashion but Sarah was saying I was thinking about it and I was thinking why is she talking about fashion when she didn't get bothered to get dressed up anyhow Uh, A few hours later, Sarah was going to her local supermarket. Uh, She was there with her trolley, and while she was loading her trolley, uh, there was another person, uh, maybe the same person, uh, only this time it was lashing rain. And they had their dressing gown on, also had the slippers on, and they were filling up the boot of their car. So the person drove to the shop with their slippers or wearing their slippers. And it was the same person because Sierra says this was three hours after my hair finished, so probably... That person left the hairdressers and went and did shopping in the town, uh, dressed like that as well. Uh, she has a kind of a sad emoji face after that on her WhatsApp. Sarah, thank you for that. And uh, That's Sarah's story. So many people have mixed views. Uh, the majority disagree. They feel if you are going out to a shop, uh, to a supermarket, wherever, you should wear proper clothes uh, other people feel it could be a lot worse they could be going out naked uh, and that's Sarah's story there your views are welcome is that person right uh, would you ban nightwear if you ran a business uh, rather than people coming in wearing dressing gowns slippers and pyjamas or is it simply do you care that's <laughs> now 0862103103 103, text or whatsapp uh, you can call Bernie on 0818-103-103. The C103
0: Cork Diary
1: With Cork County Council where communities and businesses all across the county County can get the support they need at CorkCoco.ie the Clonakilty Access Group they have and are putting out a final call to any businesses that have not already signed up to their Clonakilty campaign to do so by the end of September uh, to date over 20 businesses have done this mainly along the main streets of Clonakilty town and they're pledging support and they have got recognition in return uh, from those on Facebook but if you are interested anyhow in getting involved you can email uh, Group pro at gmail.com and do that before the 30th of September if you're in Clonacilty and a coffee day is underway at the moment in aid of Marymount Hospice is taking place in Mary O'Donovan's in Duras. all in aid of Marymount head along there it's going on till late we're told at Mary O'Donovan's in Duras. and a monster coffee morning and that's going ahead tomorrow morning in the High Street Lounge, which is in Horrigans in Newmarket, from 10.30 until 1.00. All proceeds go to Marymount Hospice and your support is appreciated because they say every cup counts. And Sculvira in Canturk, they're going to hold a big fundraiser this weekend on both Friday and indeed on Saturday. And this is to raise funds to upgrade their sporting facilities and changing rooms. Any support you can give there to them would be appreciated. And Hurley Heath Centre, they will hold their annual spin-a-thon in of the Blackwater Search and Rescue. It's going ahead tomorrow in their stores in Mill Street, Mallow, and Fermoy. And the annual commemoration for Diermidge O'Neill will be held as usual by his graveside in Temeleague Cemetery. That's this coming Sunday at 12.45pm. And Rathbury and District Vintage Club will hold its annual tractor, truck, car and motorcycle run. That's going ahead this Sunday. You can register from 11am in the Parish Hall and this year the run is in memory of their former club member Rex Kingston. All proceeds will go to Breakthrough Cancer Research and Indeed, the Artfield Rathbury Parish Hall Renovation Fund. Record today on C one oh three.
0: Call Patricia with your
1: comment. 818 103, 103. And when we mentioned pensions earlier Theresa living in the North Cork area asking about her pension because she's asking why does she have to pay tax on her pension all her life she paid tax and now she's retired and still uh, paying tax well we did check that out for you Theresa. and you do it's a private pension I presume you were talking about and all private pensions and occupational pensions they are uh, sources of income so they are taxable and the tax they are liable to are income tax the USC even uh, and indeed the PRSI uh, so obviously everybody's circumstance is different but your private pension you have that is subject to tax as well so there you go through on that um, Michael and Casa Bear this is on what came out yesterday uh, regarding the address to the nation from uh, Vladimir Putin and what we have heard since and the Uh, The unrest now in Russia over what he said yesterday. Michael is saying, now that Putin has ordered uh, 300,000 of his Russians to fight uh, his insane war against Ukraine, Uh, the Nordic countries are going to be run over, says Michael, with Russian refugees. Yesterday, you had tailbacks of up to 35 kilometres trying to get into Sweden. Uh, This is only the beginning. It seems the young and the elderly Russian people don't want to fight in any wars, uh, says Michael, in Castleton Bear. And looking at the international news coverage on that, I tend to agree with you, Michael. Obviously, there a certain amount of population that do agree with Putin and are for him. And you'll always have that in every country. Uh, but looking at the coverage, not obviously on Russian TV and international TV sources, there's a lot of unrest there, a lot of people leaving, a lot of people arrested in Moscow yesterday evening. And while some reports on social media claims last night, some videos of those driving out of Russia to... Uh, Finland's the videos were claimed to be old videos but then some were saying no that some of those videos were actually just shot yesterday evening uh, so it's hard to know what is true or not on social media but if, on the international news channels uh, there is unrest and we'll just have to wait and see what happens but overall from what we're hearing there isn't much appetite in Russia for any type of war uh, and then his threats to Europe uh, a very worrying time as a lot of the leaders have met yesterday evening I mean the last thing we want is war uh, But how do you stop someone in a position like that? Uh, There's only one way, really, I suppose, and I don't know if anybody's going to do that. Anyhow, thank you for your WhatsApp, Michael, to 0862-103-103. Yesterday, we spoke about the state of the Main Street in Formoy. And Martin in Fermoy is agreeing with those who texted yesterday. He says, it's a total disgrace. It's like driving over a rocky mountain. Martin, though, feels that the Irish government didn't spend so much money on refugees in this country. Maybe then our roads would be a lot better. A lot of our cars have problems and it's because of the disgraceful state of Fermoy's main street, says Martin in Fermoy. Uh, well, some people would argue, Martin, the, the budget that comes from a uh, Farrow Road Network will be a separate budget than what they outline for other uh, stuff they do in this country so that's the answer you'll get there but uh, staying with the roads uh, John was on from Abandon as was Dermot and we did answer this question yesterday because when we spoke about Formoy uh, people in Abandon were angry that North Main Street is also crumbling but works we are told is d- due to happen there was um uh, works going to happen I think in October or this October coming now it's gone out to tender so I'm not too sure how long that will take uh, hopefully not too long and works will start either in October or November to resurface uh, the entire stretch of North Main Street in Bandon uh, from the Town Hall area there the courthouse right down to the Allen Institute so for those in Bandon and those who commute uh, from Cork to the Manway onwards to Bantry you'll be uh, happy with that because yeah it is a bit of a nightmare Uh, who was the texter we got yesterday from somebody whose friends visited and, and stayed in their house during the or was it on holidays even in West Cork during this? The winter months or the summer months, even. Uh, anyway, their son, uh, their child, a the five year old, uh, was calling abandon bumpy abandon uh, because of the state of North Main Street. But hopefully, in the next few months, that will be sorted out. That's what we're told, anyhow, uh, from local councillors. Thank you for your WhatsApps on that and uh, staying with transport uh, the bus shelter went up in Buttevant earlier this week and there's only one bus shelter on one side of the road and John is reacting to this because we did mention it earlier in the week John says uh, so there will be no bus shelter on the left side of the road if that is the case in the winter people will shelter across the road and then run across when they see the bus coming which is likely to cause an accident uh, feels John Uh, and Many thought they'd have two bus shelters, but no, there's only one. So the campaign now starts again for another bus shelter in Botjevant. But John, you're making a good point. Will that end up where we see people running across the road to catch their bus? And a Banning colleague listener has been in touch with us and is asking if anybody can answer this. Well, we'll try and answer some of it. But you were driving through Banning College last night and you saw a lot of uh, Garda activity and um, you presume there were the mandatory alcohol testing uh, and it was this was after 10 o'clock in uh, Banning College yesterday evening uh, this person says while it was good to see a Garda presence on our streets I've never seen so many Garda in one town at one time uh, can anyone shed any light on this subject uh, says this listener in Banning College well all I can think if it is if you if they were doing what you were saying they were doing a mandatory alcohol check uh, there's a lot of those checks going on at the moment I'm not too sure if the Garda are carrying out those if they've they, every now and again They do this where they hold a lot of these tests and they will advertise that they will be out in force for a week or for a day. Uh, So maybe it's part of a campaign that's underway at the moment. I know in Tipperary uh, as well, yesterday or the day before, there was a huge Garda presence in some of the towns there and on the border areas. Of a Cork, Limerick, uh, and indeed Tipperary and Waterford. So it, it could be something, some campaign that is underway. Uh, and if that is the case, many will welcome that uh, to cut and reduce the drink driving levels in this country. But overall, as you said, it's good to see a, a Garda presence anyhow in any town. And uh, can we help this? Uh, this is Pauline in Cove. Any advice for Pauline, who is in Cove, who has a pigeon? which has arrived in the front of her house. Now, the pigeon is there since last Sunday morning. He has rings on both his legs. One is bright red. Uh, One, she feels anyway, seems to have a broken, or his broken leg. He seems to have one of his legs is broken. Um, That's what she thinks anyhow. But she wants to know how can we get rid of the pigeon, as in make him go home. Uh, We are afraid of avian flu, and we don't know how we can get the pigeon to fly back home. The pigeon hasn't disappeared from the front of her house. It seems like this could be a racing pigeon if it's that tame uh, Paul in Cove. If anybody has any advice, usually on those rings there's a number and... You, you can go somewhere with the number and it will tell you if I'm correct on this uh, where the pigeon should be and maybe you can contact the owner so have a look on the rings if you if the pigeon will allow you to uh, if the pigeon has a broken leg as you think it has then that's a matter that needs to be uh, looked at as well Anyhow, any information for Pauline? Are we right in saying there's usually a number on the ring and they can get contact details from the number? or, or Will that help her? Pauline and Cove let us know text or WhatsApp 0862 103, 103. Margaret who was on to us this was relation to the old book it's an old Bible that Margaret has uh, from 1966 what's the best way to preserve it well Margaret if you were listening a lot of people back on this uh, a lot of people are saying wrap the book in plastic that will keep the dirt off it first of all but keep it out of any direct sunlight or high temperatures if you can keep it in a room that's not too cold and not too humid and also a dark room or in a dark press uh, that will do the trick and also maybe don't put it into storage materials sometimes old storage boxes can actually be worse for a book so a bookshelf is the best and also keep it out of Of any sunlight or not in a room also that's not too damp we've had a number of texts and whatsapps from different people and that's more or less what they're all saying Margaret so hopefully that helps you there and uh, Dee has been in touch and this is something that I saw this morning as well Uh, In the Southern Star newspaper, she feels the islands of our West Cork coast are losing out because there's not enough parking uh, at the various piers. And she's noticed across the summer and even in September, she says, when we have a huge tourist population remaining in West Cork, which is fantastic to see. By the way, the tourist industry is doing well. uh, People are finding it hard to find parking when they want to board the ferry and head for a day to the islands. It is also, though, making people turn away. She's met a lot of tourists who say they try to go to various islands. And because the car parking spaces were full at the height of the summer uh, they went somewhere else to go back. She feels though like, is the island's tourism sector losing out because of this. Well, uh, it actually was raised at the meeting of the West Cork Municipal District uh, this week and regar- one of the meetings was specifically to do with Cunnamore Pier and they're looking at if they can expand the car parking maybe because uh, this would be for those who are going to her islands and uh, th- there, Many feel, as you said, the, that it's preventing uh, people accessing Hare Island because of the lack of availability of parking. Now, at the start of the year, the council said they had some success in Skull when a similar warning was issued and they were able to free up a lot of parking spaces. But uh, this was the mayor of Cork County, Councillor Danny Collins. He counted 68 cars parked at Cunnamore Pier which is huge considering that Hare Island will be a small island said the Mayor he pointed out that Cork County Council has land adjoining to that pier and he suggests that that should be developed as a car park and then maybe enhance those who wish to visit in this case Hare Island but yeah it's a good point and isn't it great to see that there is demand for people to go and visit our islands and visit uh, the various tourist locations uh, along the West Cork Coast. D thank you for your WhatsApp to 862 same number for text on WhatsApps and indeed call Bernie now 818 103, 103 because Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, she answers all your pet questions next.
0: Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103.
1: And we're joined as usual on a Thursday afternoon by Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. Good afternoon to you, Jane.
2: Good afternoon,
1: Jemphal. And we'll go straight into questions. A lot of questions, in uh, Jane. So the first one, this is from Ginny. Ginny is in Clonakilty, and it's regarding her pet cat. And the cat's left eye is weeping, uh, but it's like green stuff is the best way she describes it is coming out from her eye. Any idea what this could be? She's really healthy apart from that. She's happy out. You know, in it, it's a cat that is inside mainly, but also will be out and about. But they can't understand what this green stuff really is.
2: Okay so although this cat may seem otherwise quite well in itself it does sound like it may have an eye infection so when we see kind of greenish tinged or even creamy colored eye discharge coming out of one or both eyes that generally means that the body is mounting an immune response and generally that will be to either a virus or a bacteria most commonly bacterial when it gets quite kind of uh, chunky creamy or green so i would say this little cat even though it seems otherwise well really needs a trip to the vet so um sometimes eye infections in cats can be really really straightforward it may just be like in ourselves sometimes we might just need a little eye drop to clear up the infection but it is possible with all of the things that cats get up to that they may have something stuck in the eye that's kind of precipitated or caused the infection or possibly even if they have a scratch on the eye sometimes it can be that this if they get a scratch on their eye it's a damaged tissue and that can be the perfect place for an infection to set up Or sometimes it can be the other way around. Sometimes the infection itself can cause a scratch in the eye, so an ulcer. So it's a chicken and egg situation. It's difficult to know which can happen. But the really important thing is If there was to be an infection and the most important thing to bring to, to bring your cat to the vet for is to check if there's an ulcer in the eye, because that will complicate treatment a little bit. Now, it's no big drama, but it's just really important to know about before treatment commences. And a lot of the time, your vet will examine the eye fully with a little ophthalmoscope, so a special scope to have a look at the eye. But sometimes we can apply a little bit of dye to the eye as well, which shows us if the layers of the eye are intact and if the infection is deeper into the surface of the eye or just on the outside So it could be a very, very simple fix, but it's just important to have all the facts. So I would pop along to your vet, have a full physical exam, and I'm sure they'll take a really, really good look at that eye, see what the problem is and get you sorted out with some treatment, but really well done for noticing.
1: Okay, best of luck with that there, Ginny. And this is Orla, who is in Rathcormark. She has a bulldog, eight years old, but the dog has gone extremely tired in the last year or so, just barely wants to do anything and we have to push him for a walk. Now, is that just the way bulldogs are? Uh, He's a family pet, so he would be inside with us a lot. He's a male and neutered.
2: Okay this is interesting so what I will always say is if it's a change for your pet it's something that needs to be investigated and from the sound of this listener it sounds like that their pet maybe was a lot more active before and now that that's now that's declined over the last year. Now bulldogs as a breed are prone to a few things and just because of the way their faces are formed so they have quite a flat flat-nosed faces, they can sometimes struggle with their breathing. And something, sometimes that's something that they can struggle with more over time or if they gain weight. So it may be that just the breathing is not as easy during exercise. But to be honest, it could be a multitude of things. Bulldogs are also very, very prone to easily putting on weight, which can compl- complicate a lot of things. Like any kind of middle-aged to older dog, sometimes joint issues become a problem, and that may dis- discomfort can make them less inclined to go out and about for their walks really there is a multitude of things that could be going on but because it is a change for your pet so a change in activity level it really needs to be investigated. I'd bring your little dog to the vet I think if it is something and nothing, it's always better to be overcautious. It might just be kind of a little bit of kind of advancing age taking its toll. But in these older patients, there's so much we can do to help their quality of life and make them feel really, really well into their elder years if we have the opportunity as vets to see them for that. So it's really important. I would suggest visiting your vet, have a a good chat with them about his change in activity. So how long he used to do, let's say a year or two ago. So would he walk kind of a a kilometre, two kilometres or 10 minutes or 15 minutes? 15 minutes at a good pace and what's he doing now and also what his daily habits are like and his mobility when he's getting up and down so just keep that in mind for a few days and then I would say schedule schedule a visit with your vet and bring along a little bit of information about how how your pet's been doing mobility wise and activity wise compared to before and they'll be able to take it from there probably with a full physical exam in older patients sometimes we need to do other things to check out how they're doing internally for example blood tests are a really common thing we would run in older patients if they've been slowing down a little bit but your vet will be the best person to judge that after you are your pet and having a, a more in-depth discussion about the problem but it's definitely something that needs to be to be flagged and investigated further.
1: Alright Katrina is on WhatsApp now she has five kittens at the moment five weeks old and they're still feeding off their mother now one male the biggest of the litter two of the kittens have shown signs they are hungry so she started feeding them on kitten food she wants to know should she mix it with water and how long should they continue to feed from their mother and when then should she start weaning the rest of them off also she started training them on the litter tray the male one Has figured it out after eating, she tries to put them on uh, the litter tray, and the mother cat is feeding them day and night.
2: Okay, so, um, with little kittens, a lot of this will happen quite naturally, particularly if they're with their mum. So, weaning can sometimes take place from anywhere from five weeks to seven weeks of age. And generally, it doesn't require a lot of kind of human owner interference. Usually the mammy cat will slowly kind of restrict their access to milk and kind of have had enough of them being around her. So she will gradually wean them normally herself. Now, the important thing to do is the other ones that have shown signs of being really hungry. It may be that she might be starting the early stages of weaning. So she may be kind of restricting their access to her a little bit. So it's important to make sure that they have kitten food available. And it sounds like that's already in place, which is great news. As regards whether it needs soaking or not, it really depends on what kitten food you have. In a lot of cases soaking can help to make it a little bit easier that transition to to milk to kitten food so I normally recommend soaking let's say for the, if it's a, a nook kibble maybe soaking it in a little bit of warm water and um, to to make it a little bit easier to chew for the young ones well what I will say is just make sure before you give it to the kittens that it's a really safe temperature so very much like you test a baby's bottle temperature on the back of your forearm do exactly the same with the kitten food that you may have soaked so just make sure it's a, it's a nice comfortable lukewarm temperature that would be comfortable in contact with your skin so we just want to make sure it's safe for the kittens so soaking can really help initially to get them onto that food and just make sure it's a it's a good quality kitten food Um, and that will be kind of a stage appropriate for them yeah, I think I'm I'm trying to think what other questions was, were in there. <laughs> yeah, the litter tray. So oh, she has covered. the
1: the male uh, one of the kittens has figured out the litter tray uh, litter after tray. she's eating. Um, she's trying to put the others then on the litter tray to see if they can figure it out uh, because the mother cat is feeding them day and night.
2: Gotcha. So normally kittens will toilet by a little bit of stimulation from their mum. So sometimes their mum will kind of, let's say, stimulate the, the peas and the poos happening. What I will say is make the literature available. So it sounds like you've done that already. But I would say not to disturb the process too much. If the mum is still assisting them with kind of producing their toilets, then leave her at it. So kind of moving the kittens into the litter tray, I probably just let them with the mum. You may find that as time goes on, the kittens will naturally move to the litter tray. Most cats and kittens don't really need a lot of training to it because they're really pre-programmed in their little heads to go and search for something they can pee on and then dig around so litter trays are perfect for that so most of them once their mom kind of is not required to assist them with toileting they'll clock on that a litter tray is actually a lovely place to do their pees and booze and they'll probably train themselves so I say I wouldn't worry too much about kind of interfering on that side they're probably best just left to it with the litter tray available to use if they want
1: and just a final question from Katrina also a similar question in uh, from another listener to say that the cat um, when can I get the cat spayed? Uh, how long after the kittens are weaned off to her completely this cat is only a year old and it's her third litter uh, that she's had the, the current one we're talking about but uh, it's mm-hmm. the only litter that has survived Jane and I have a similar question as okay. well from the person who's had kittens from their cat uh, how long can you get the cat spayed after kittens
2: Okay, so I'd normally suggest the kittens need to be well weaned. So we need to wait until they're fully weaned off. And then normally, if let's say two to four weeks after. It's important not to really leave it much longer than that because cats are really good at getting pregnant again. Um, and you could be back to square one. What I will say is that it really depends on how the kind of mammary glands, so the, the breasts kind of regress and settle down after the pregnancy, because they can kind of interfere and make the surgery a little bit more complicated as regarding spaying. So we want everything to be settled down a little bit. I would say contact your vet probably now as they're getting towards the end of their time with mum, let's say, and the weaning is imminent to discuss it with your local vet as to what they prefer. And also, so you can kind of schedule in either a check before spaying if required, if your vet wants that. And you can get the procedure scheduled in because there's normally a little bit of a waiting list for these things. So I'd say have a chat with your vet now to plan for, let's say, a few weeks after they have been fully weaned.
1: And very finally, and I don't know if you can really answer this in detail, there's not a lot of information on this text, but they had their dog recently um, in for an x-ray and they have seen spots on the x-ray. Now they're currently waiting for a CT scan. Any idea what these spots could be? And I don't know what area of the body the dog had an x-ray in.
2: Okay, oh, no, unfortunately, without without kind of a lot more detail. Yeah, i need more right, of the, the detail. Yeah, I'd, I'd say have a have a good trust in your vet. So if you're kind of pursuing further kind of advanced diagnostics with CT, I'm sure they have it well handled. So I know it can be a really, really worrying time. And obviously we want all of the answers as, as quickly as we can, just to put our minds at rest or to have a plan in mind. But I would say take the guidance of your vet on this one. If they've suggested CT to further investigate, then then go with that.
1: All right, well, best of luck to you there with your dog. And for the moment, Jane, thanks for joining us and we'll chat to you next week. Brilliant, thank you very much. Take care, that is Jane Pickett there of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group. My thanks to Bernie Murphy who produced. We're back tomorrow with one of the discussions on pharmacies who are closing due to the lack of staff. And I have a lot of texts in from people who have more views on the budget. Uh, We'll chat to you tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. I'm John Paul McNamara.
2: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact